Welcome to the West Side Audio Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. And if you're looking for more ways to connect with West Side Assembly of God, feel free to check us out at www.westsideag.org. You'll find all the information about our service times, upcoming events, and opportunities for you to plug in and get connected with West Side Assembly of God. Additionally, you'll find a complete online archive of all of the previous and current messages absolutely free of charge. We hope you are encouraged by this week's message, and thanks again for downloading the West Side Audio Message Podcast. Would you welcome him, Matt Lair? Good morning. What a privilege it is to be here this morning. But hey, listen, this morning's not about me. It's not really about uh, my past or where I've come from. This morning's about you. And I want to share this message with you this morning titled, How to Fix Your Spouse. Somebody here know of a spouse who needs fixed? Go ahead and raise your hand. Yeah, come on. It's okay. You know, I know, I get it. You know of a spouse. Yeah, yeah. And I want to bring this message to you this morning. And as shared, I live in the arena of hurting couples all across the land. I live there. The last X amount of years, I don't know how many, my wife and I have been uh, just engulfed in family concerns and family issues. And I want to unpack that for you this morning. But if you're here and you're not married, stay tuned in. If you're not married, maybe you're a young one. I see some young ones in in the room. And if you're here and you're not married, stay tuned in because there's a day you will be. It's coming. It's right around the corner. It's not that far away. Stay tuned in. And if you're here and you're not married, and maybe you never will be, maybe you're older, maybe you're widowed, stay tuned in as well, and here's why. Even though you maybe never will marry, you know someone who's hurting. God's going to bring someone to you who has an issue in their marriage, and they're going to come to you for answers. I want you to be ready. I want you to be ready for an answer right out of Scripture. I want it to be compact. I want it to be short. I want it to be effective. And I believe the message this morning is exactly that. Be ready. Be ready. And of course, if you are here and you're married, happy or glad, mad or sad, it doesn't matter. This message is certainly for you. And I brought my toolkit, if you haven't noticed, because I want to go over some thoughts and ideas on what tools that you may have been using to not only fix your spouse for years, but maybe other people. And if you're here and you're not married uh, and you're single, here's the truth. I started learning how to fix people way, way before I was married. With my tools, not God's, mine. And I want to unpack that for you this morning as we dive into this. And so if you've got your Bibles, grab them, open them up to 2 Chronicles 7.14. I'm going to take you there in a little bit. Get ready for that. 2 Chronicles 7.14, that's in the left-hand side, the Old Testament, the first quarter of the Scripture. 2 Chronicles 7.14. And as you're doing that, I've got to be honest with you this morning, I'm not perfect and neither is my marriage. My wife, a beautiful woman, smart, um, extremely uh, gifted in so many areas, uh, we, have, we have issues. It's going to start right there. We're not perfect. Matter of fact, uh, when I first got married to Pam, I'm not sure she knew what she was getting into when she married me, and uh, I went over to her condo to load up all of her furniture. This is in Bettendorf. She sold her condo to move in with me. And it was a day or two after we were married, and I drive over there with this, uh, my brother's trailer, and I hooked up this old beat-up trailer to my truck, and I, I back up to her, her condo with all her furniture ready to load up and bring into our new home. And you've got to know something about Pam. She's uh, very organized, very tidy, and she's very safe 
and I'm not so much. And I load all the furniture up, and she puts her hands on my shoulders, and she goes, honey, now when we drive across Bettendorf, drive slow. And then she climbs in the trailer and puts her arms around her furniture so it won't get scratched. Okay. And we're trucking across Kimberly Road, and all of a sudden, I got hungry, and there was a Taco John's right there on the corner. But there's a problem. The light turned yellow. Guys, yell out loud, what do you do when a light turns yellow? You. You gun it. And so for a second or two there, I forgot she was even back there. And I gunned it. And I whipped it to the left and whipped it to the right. And the trailer became completely disconnected from my truck. And it passes me with her in it. She doesn't even know it. And I yell out the window, Pam, hold on. Boom, that trailer hits Taco John's. She gets out and then I get out and we exchange some words. And then I go in and get two tacos and a Mountain Dew. Hook it all back up. We go home. And that's how we started marriage. Somebody here needs fixed, right? How many thinks it's her? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. What I want to do this morning is take your mind and your thoughts before we even dive into Scripture. And I want you to look in the mirror right now for a moment. Whether you're married or not, and whether you're a young child or not, I want you to look in the mirror right now. And I want you to be thinking about what tools you're using right now to fix people. The first tool I want to bring to our attention is a hammer. It's anger. It's a tool that I use when I don't get what I want. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's at school. Maybe it's with mom and dad. Maybe it's with your spouse. It's a tool that I choose. I'm hurt. My expectations aren't met. I'm going to use this to fix the situation. I'm going to take control. I'm going to use this. By the way, in all my life, I have never accidentally grabbed a hammer. It's always by choice. I've decided to use this. The Bible says man's anger never produces the righteousness of God. It doesn't say sometimes it does. It says never. When I look back at my life and I've used this on my wife, it brings tears to my eyes. I'm guilty. By the way, I can't think of one time I've ever used this tool and it's ever yielded fruit. Not once. Another tool that I think we're guilty of using is a screwdriver. Now, it doesn't look all that harmful. And I like to look at this as manipulation. It's kind of like, I'm going to manipulate the friendship. I'm going to manipulate the relationship. And maybe if you're not married, you're doing this with friends and family, coworkers. I don't get what I want. I'm going to figure out a way to get what I want. Hell, how about this? I'm going to behave in such a way that my wife is going to yield. Maybe I'm going to be dominant. I'm going to be, I'm going to be intimidating. I'm going to raise my voice. I'm going, to, I'm going to try to put her in a corner. Or maybe I'm going to retreat. Maybe I'm going to play the silent treatment. I'm going to shut down and pull away. I'll show her. I'll show him. I'll get, I'll get where I'm wanting to go. Matter of fact, sometimes we use anger as manipulation. I learned when I was a little kid how to start doing that. Another one, you can't quite see it from where you're sitting. It's a little handsaw. It's got little bitty fine teeth, and it cuts both ways. It's what I call criticism. Words. As a matter of fact, you don't have to yell, don't have to be mad, don't have to be demonstrative. I don't have to be uh, screaming. I, I can use words that cut. Matter of fact, finish this quote for me. Sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never That's a lie from Satan. Your bones heal. Bruises go away. 
But sometimes it's the words that we choose that wound somebody for a lifetime. I could probably sit down and interview every single one of you, and I could say, hey, uh, share with me a time in your life that somebody spoke a word into your heart and into your mind, and it made you feel like there was no mountain you couldn't swim, or no mountain you couldn't climb, no ocean you couldn't swim. Somebody spoke a word into your life that made you believe that you were valuable. And each one of you could probably recount a time. Or maybe I could also ask you the question, when did somebody hurt you? When did somebody say something to you? Maybe it was a spouse. Maybe it was a friend. But those words cut, and it made you doubt that you would ever amount to anything. Often in marriage, I've used words of criticism to fix my wife. In my younger years, immature, foolish. And as soon as those words rolled off my tongue to Pam, As soon as they went out of my mouth, I wish I could have just grabbed them and brought them back, but it was too late. They did their job. They cut. And again, I look back at that. And I weep sometimes. God, forgive me. Pam, forgive me. Another tool, this could be a guy tool. I don't want to just pick on guys, but it's earplugs. Sometimes we use these to tune our wives out. Like I put them in and it's selective hearing. You know, I'll fix her. I'll just disconnect her. I'll, I'll put these in and catch only one out of three words. doesn't seem too harmful. By the way, every one of these tools will ruin a marriage. Every one of these tools will ruin a relationship. And lastly, and I could go on and on, is duct tape. Duct tape. Oh, the things we can do to fix people with duct tape. And I know a few people here, Mr. Boots, (laughs) who've used duct tape one or two times in your life. And the way I look at duct tape in marriage and in relationship, especially marriage, is we're fighting for control and power. I'm in control. I'm the one. I'm the husband. I'm the head. I get what I want. And sometimes I misuse Scripture. I misunderstand what it means to lead my family. We fight for power and control. Matter of fact, it says early on when Adam and Eve sinned, one of the curses upon mankind is the woman would be after and seek after the man, the man's role, the man's position. In the very next verse, it says, then she became subject. He put her subject to him. Hey, this battle's been going on ever since the beginning. And by the way, sometimes I want to take a piece of duct tape. When Pam says something I don't want to hear, maybe the Holy Spirit's speaking through my wife to me. Right? That happens. Do you guys know that? The Holy Spirit will speak to you through your wife. Amen? And sometimes I don't want to hear it, so I'm like, honey, I'll fix you. Come here a little closer. I got just the thing for you. The truth is I do need to use duct tape, but not on her. This morning, I want you to look at yourself. What patterns do you have? What kind of a series of broken, hurting relationships possibly have you left behind? What kind of a trail... What kind of a pattern? Matter of fact, as you think of these tools, I want you to imagine one word for you. It's your flesh, our flesh. That's what this is. It represents Matt's flesh, my flesh. And my flesh may act differently than yours. Or another, another thought is it's our sin nature. We're all born with it. What pattern did you bring into marriage? What pattern have you been fighting your whole life? There is a solution. There is an answer. There is a passage. There is a way... 
Matter of fact, just to clear the room right now, I think we need to all understand something this morning. We're all flawed. How many of you know that? Every one of us is flawed. I think it's wonderful to enter into conflict with somebody realizing this. Matt, I am flawed. So to make sure that you clearly understand that, turn to the person next to you right now and say this to them. You're not perfect. Just tell them right now. Let it sink in. Yep, let it settle. It's going to take some time. It could be a shocking moment for them. And now look back at them and say, neither am I. With all of this in mind, let's turn to Scripture. There is a solution to this, and it's too simple. It's almost so simple, it's hard to even believe. And sometimes we live in a society right now where we don't want simple. We want this algebraic formula. We want this calculus. I want some great philosopher to come in here and give me these amazing, unbelievable statistical words. How many of you know the answer is often simply found right here. So let's read it. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name, let's just stop right there. If, if, if. I love this word. Every time I study scripture, I highlight, I circle the word if. Why? It's a word of condition. It is a word of condition. God's blessings are extremely tied to conditions. If. He goes, if my people, that's us. If only my people would do three things. He says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their own wicked ways. Right here. Then, there's that other key word. Anytime I see the word if, not far after that, you're going to find the word then. 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 I'll hear from heaven. I'll forgive your sin. And I will heal your land. I'll heal your home. I'll heal your marriage. I'll heal your broken heart. I'll heal the wounds. I'll heal the the victimization spirit where I just, I'm a victim to everything. He says, I'll heal you. I want to unpack that for you this morning. This is the formula that I want you to give someone. Somebody comes to you. They got this long list of grievances. I just got a text late last night from a woman. Uh, I don't know why she's texting me. I texted her back and said, don't text me. Call my wife. But she sent me this long list of grievances to her husband. He did all these things against me. Someone's going to come to you with this list, and maybe you have a list right now against your spouse. And I want you to know that maybe your list is accurate. Maybe all of your accusations are accurate. Maybe all the things that you're listing is exactly what they're doing against you. But this scripture here says, if my people will just humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from your own wicked way. So step number one in fixing a broken family or a broken relationship, number one is to humble yourself. That's what it says. If my people just humble themselves. As a matter of fact, when I dove into this scripture years and years ago and I built this message, I I looked up the word humility. And by the way, I'm not a naturally humble guy. I have had to become broken many, many times by the Lord, and he's still breaking me. Matter of fact, I found something extremely fascinating about the word humility. The Bible talks about humility or being humble over 87 times. It's mentioned over and over and over and over and over and over in Scripture. I I realized as I was studying this, it's like you can't be too humble. It's not like you're going to get to heaven one day and God's going to say, hey, you did a pretty good job. You didn't have to be so humble. That conversation won't happen. 
As a matter of fact, I said, Lord, in this study, I said, Lord, show me a man in Scripture that I can emulate. Show me someone in Scripture. I mean, I know we're all supposed to be like Jesus, but sometimes being like Jesus just seems, it just seems too hard for me because I'm flawed, right? Jesus wasn't. And all of a sudden, he gave me this guy's name in Scripture that I have studied deeply over the years. And his name was King David. And I want to share a few thoughts with you. And before I do, I want you to know that King David wasn't perfect. And he had flaws. And if you bring flaws into this room this morning, there's hope for you. Why? Because David, even in his flaws, I want you to know that in the New Testament, David's name is mentioned over and over and over with legacy, with, with amazing uh, a heartfelt feeling from the Lord and from all his legacy followed him. He didn't spoil it. There's amazing reverence about David over and over and over in the New Testament. So what I did is I said, okay, Lord, that's cool. I would love to leave a legacy. God, even though I'm flawed like David, it has issues. I want to know how can I leave a legacy and not blow it. And so I wrote down next to King David's name a couple flaws. As a matter of fact, I wrote down three kings' names that led consecutively, King Saul, King David, and King Solomon. And I said, well, let's look at these three kings. Let's observe the good. Let's observe the bad. What can I take away from my own life? And here's what I learned about these three kings. First of all, King Saul, I wrote next to his name. He had it all. God's favor fell upon King Saul. He was lifted to the highest level. God's favor fell on this man. But get this, get this. He lost it all. Every ounce of God's favor was taken away. Because he became arrogant and prideful. So I wrote next to Saul's name at the end of his life. He became unteachable. He became prideful. He became arrogant. He, and all of a sudden, he had an accountability partner. His name was Samuel, who was a prophet that God brought him. And he turned his back on Samuel and said, I don't need you. I don't need you. I don't need you. And his life ended by running a sword through himself. No honor. And his name, is it found in the New Testament over and over? No. Then I wrote down next to King David that he had sex with another man's wife. He had committed adultery, and to make things worse, he had her husband murdered, who was a good man, a soldier that worked for and protected David. He had him murdered, and then he was full of lies and deceit. So I wrote down adultery, murder, lies, deceit. And then I wrote down his son, Solomon. He reigned. And God said, hey, when you reign as king, don't marry foreign women. Don't marry women who believe in false gods. And he did it anyway. And I'm looking at these three kings, and I'm remembering that David's name is mentioned over and over and over and over and over in the New Testament, and there's this reverence that God still had for him. And even though there were consequences for his sin, I was perplexed. And I'm like, God, what is it about David? I mean, they're all flawed. We're all flawed. What was it about him? What did he do the other kings didn't do? And then I found the answer in Psalm 51, and it blew me away. When David was confronted for his sin by Nathan, he did something Saul would not do. He did something that, that Solomon didn't do. He did something husbands won't do today that I see all across the land and wives won't do. He fell on his knees before the Lord, and he cried out, and he wept, and he repented, and he cried out to Abba, Father. He cried out to Daddy. He said, God, I am, I am a sinner, and I'm throwing myself at the mercy of your court. Wow. And I've got to believe, as God was watching David on his face, weeping as a dignitary, as a king, he didn't care about his kingship. He didn't care about all the accolades. He had fallen on his face before the Lord. I've got to believe that God looked down on him and said, that's my boy. 
That's my boy. He humbled himself. And I found in this passage that, Matt, you better do that. Don't be like Saul, Matt. God could take it all away. He could take all this ministry away. Fall on my face and say, hey, God, I'm flawed. It's me. Hey, Pam, I'm sorry. It's me. I, I find this formula. Matter of fact, if you're taking notes, I love, write this down. I love to, to, to forgive and repent. Forgive and repent. Repent for my junk. Repent for my flesh. Try to kill my flesh every day by taking it to the cross and letting the Holy Spirit direct my ways and my behavior and my attitude and my speech and my tongue and my mouth and my words. But when I do blow it, God, forgive me. God, forgive me. Pam, forgive me. Repent, forgive. Repent, forgive. It's powerful. It's, it's not a one-time deal. It's a spirit. It's a countenance. It's a lifestyle. Matter of fact, I've listened to some of Scott's messages online. One of the things that I love is a preacher who comes up here, and he's not only available to preach to you the truth of Scripture, but at times he says, hey, I'm flawed too. Here are some of my flaws, and I've heard you do that, Scott, sometimes. And when I hear that, if I'm sitting in the congregation, there's times I just want to stand up and I want to say, you're the guy that I want to follow. I want to follow you because I trust you. We're not perfect, polished Christians that never blow it. Humble ourselves. Share the truth of who we are. Hide nothing. Take the mask off. Do what David did. So I want to unpack this for you a little bit more before we move on to point number two. Acts 3.19 says that if we repent and turn to the Lord, then times of refreshing come. I want times of refreshing to constantly come into your marriage and your relationship. It says, repent, then turn to the Lord, and times of refreshing will come. And I've done this with my wife, and now there's this new lifestyle that I have of I just face the truth that I'm flawed, I have issues, and and what I'm finding is the more that I humble myself, the more the issues don't control my life. I want times of refreshing to flow in your marriage, in your future, and in your relationships. And so here are a couple technical things. Get an accountability partner in your life. Guys, if you can, meet with another guy weekly to, to help steer you down this path of forgiving and repenting and, and growing and letting the, the Jesus Christ that we all talk about permeate your lifestyle and your behavior and your attitudes. Forgive her for everything. Repent for your own stuff. Take a long, hard look in the mirror. Fear God. Identify changes I can make. I don't return fire with fire. If my wife gets out the old hammer one morning, let's say it happens next week, She chooses this against me. Leave mine in the holster. Trust the Lord. Matter of fact, one time Pam and I got into an argument years ago in my immaturity, and I got mad. She she pulled out the hammer on me. You know what I did? I got mad, and I stormed out, got in my truck, and I squealed off. I'm like, I'll show her. Anybody here ever do that? I'm the only one? Come on. I get about two blocks down the street, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit knocks on my head, and he goes, hey, Matt, what are you doing? I go, hey, God, this is not a good time. Can you come back later? No, this is a great time. What are you doing? I go, did you see what she did, Lord? Did you see the the tools she used on me? The nerve, the disrespect, the injustice. Have you guys ever felt that way? God said this, Matt, I've called you to be a better man than this. You're responsible for your behavior. You're responsible for your reaction. He said, Matt, your life is not measured by the injustices in it. Your life is measured by how you respond to the injustices. So in the conviction of the Holy Spirit, you know what I did? I whipped into high V to buy her flowers. 
Have any of you ever bought your wife or husband flowers when you were mad at them? It's weird. I was still angry. I walk up to the counter, Hy-Vee, right up here, and, and I get this happiest little high school girl in the world, you know, my luck. And I come up, yeah, I'd like to buy my wife some flowers. And she goes, oh, that's so sweet. What kind are you going to get her? Cheapest kind you got. Matter of fact, whack off the heads and wrap the stems. That'll do. I didn't do that. And I got Pam these flowers, you know, and I'm saying, okay, Lord, I trust you. Humble myself. Turn from my ways. Okay, I'll do it right now. I'll, I'll yield to the Holy Spirit, see if this works. And what happened is before I got to the front door of my own home, I pulled up in the driveway, and the Lord started to heal my broken heart and my victimization spirit. And I sat there, and I started to weep as I thought through the things that I said to my bride. The Holy Spirit started to heal me. I'm the problem. Now, I thought I would kick the door open and, and hand her the flowers and she'd melt in my arms like the movies, right? Yeah, that didn't happen. It took her a while to warm back up to me. But it wasn't long after that she came to me and she goes, Hun, hun, when you walked in the door with those flowers, it made me glad I married you. Humble yourself. Seek the Lord. Turn from my flesh. I don't always do it right, but I'm trying. And so, husbands, I want you to love your wives when it seems impossible. Love them in the moment of desperation. Love them in the moment of your wound. Matter of fact, do you know that your love for your spouse, your love for people is never proven, never ever proven when things are great and they treat you well and, and they, they're wonderful to you. That's not where you prove your love. The Bible says that even the pagans, those who hate God, love each other. But he says, I want you to love those who hate you. And when the wife or the husband pulls out a tool of hate and they use it on you, it is in that moment you get to show them the real you. Who am I? Matt, who are you when you're wounded? That's the real me. I want to prove to Pam over and over when she wounds me, my love for her. The Holy Spirit is in you. You can do this. Wives, I want you to respect your husbands even though they don't deserve it. You might give me a long list of reasons why they don't deserve your respect. And if it's only fair that we love you when you don't deserve it, we're asking you to respect us when we don't. I want you to realize that God changes people. God changes people, not you. God changes hearts, not you. It's not your job to be the supervisor of your spouse. Let God do that. Get out of his way. Duck, right? Duck. Get out of God's way. He'll take care of your spouse with his timetable, not yours. I realize that Pam's spiritual development is between her and the Lord, and I'm going to love her, and I'm going to lead her the best I can, but I'm certainly not going to spurn her. Matter of fact, one time I was on my knees, and I was praying to the Lord. I was angry. I was wounded because of a fight Pam and I got into early in our marriage, and I remember I was on my knees, and I, didn't, I hadn't gone through all this stuff yet, and I'm on my knees, and I'm praying, and I'm like, God, the things that she said to me, and he said this. He goes, Matt, put your tools down and get out of my way. I said, well, what do you mean, God? He goes, put your tools down, your tools, and get out of my way. And here's what he said, and I, I never want this to leave you this morning. He said, Matt, when you're using your tools, you're hurting your wife. You're hurting her so much to the point where her heart's becoming bitter and hardened. And then God said this. He said, Matt, because of you, her heart is so hardened, she's tuning me out. Wow. You mean, God, I'm causing my wife to not be able to hear you? 
God, forgive me. Humble myself. And yes, I do need to use duct tape, ladies and gentlemen, but not on Pam. I need to use it on me. I need to use it on me. I need to use it on my mouth and my tongue. And I need to bite my tongue until it bleeds because a humble man is cautious with his words. A humble wife is careful how she treats her husband. You know, ladies, that you can win your husband over. Somebody finish this verse. You can win your husbands over without words. That's what the Bible says. Pam has learned this, and she's an amazing wife to me these days. She knows how to win me over without words that hurt. And before I move on, how will your children ever know how to be humble? How will they ever know how to deal with conflict in a way that pleases the Lord? How will they learn? And even though they're going to learn sitting in church and Sunday school to a degree, I can promise you they won't learn in the general public school system. And and not to knock that, but they're not going to learn on social media. They're not going to learn by watching television. Get this, the number one way children learn is by watching mom and dad. Show them. Show them. When your wife hurts you and your kids see it, they're sponges, they know. They see the conflict. You go to your spouse and you put your arms around them and you show your children how to love in the moment that you're wounded. It's powerful. Because one day they'll grow up and they'll say, what did dad do? What did mommy do? That's what I'll do. Number two is to seek God's face. So here's the formula. Number one was to humble yourself. Formula number two Seek God's face and seek him. And some of you might be saying, well, hey, I'm here. I'm in church every Sunday. Check. Hold on. Do you know there are levels of seeking the Lord we know not of? Do you know we can't out-seek him? We can't seek too much. We can't pray too much. We can't read too much. We can't study too much. We can't be in his presence too much. We're in a fast food society now. Three minutes here, two minutes there. That's it. That's enough. I can only handle so much. Seek him. Get a wingman. Get a wingwoman in your life. Seek him through prayer. Seek him through fasting and studying the word. As a matter of fact, I remember early on when my wife and I started building the foundation to our marriage, we decided to fast every year together for a week. Husband and wife, side by side. Let's fast, honey. I don't know how it's going to help us. I have no clue. And I remember I came home from work one of those nights that we were fasting. And, and in our dining room, Pam had set up this table. And she had, she had this amazing dining set and all of our finest china. And she had this beautiful array. And it looked like we were going to have this romantic dinner. And I was completely confused. And I said to her, I go, honey, I thought we were fasting tonight. What are we doing? And she looked at me and she says, we are. Take a look at what I put on your plate. And I walked over and she had handwritten these prayers for our future for our marriage, for our issues, for our family. And we were going to sit at this this amazing display and we were going to seek the Lord through fasting. And we were going to follow these prayers that she'd written. My wife did that. My bride did that. Wow. That's romantic to me. Forget about these stupid TV shows today. That's not romance. Romance is when my wife helps me seek the Almighty God. That'll help a marriage. Study the word. Or how about this? 
Let's talk about David. David was humble. It's one of the reasons God had so much favor on him. How many of you want favor on your life? Like it says in Scripture, God favored David. I want favor on you. I want his favor on your children, your grandchildren. Some of you don't even have children yet, but I want his favor on them. So let's do what David did. He humbled himself. He sought the Lord in ways that were embarrassing. Matter of fact, it says in Scripture that David worshipped. Remember, he worshipped and danced in the streets in a way that embarrassed his wife. You know what he said? And I could just see him saying it to her. So, I'm going to worship my father. And this morning, as I watched some of you uh, raising your hands and and worship, do you know that in heaven it's going to be unbridled? Do you know it'll be unbridled worship? What if King David stood right in front of you this morning, in front of your pew, and he was here just this morning in his own natural way worshiping? What do you think you would have observed? It would have been unbridled. And again, I'll bet you, as God was watching him, and he was in the streets dancing, and his wife says, you're making a fool of yourself. I'll bet you God was looking at him saying, that's my boy. That's my boy. God's favor was on this man. If only I could humble myself and seek the Lord in a way that I didn't care what people thought. So many of us don't seek him enough. When times are tough, seek him. When times are good, seek him. I remember when I was in college right here in the Quad Cities uh, many, many years ago, 20-some years ago, uh, just like many of you, uh, I was at this stage in life where I was insecure. Am I ever going to mount anything? Am I ever going to get a job? Am I ever going to get a girlfriend? Am I ever going to get married? Am I ever going to get a house? And in, in college, you know, we all worry about these things swirling around. And I remember every Saturday or so I would take my Bible and I'd go to the park by myself And I remember I'd sit on the bench and I'd read and I'd seek him and I'd seek him. And sometimes I'd sit there all by myself and I'd cry. Seek him. Real men cry. Real men cry out. Real women cry. We cry out to the Lord. Seek him. He'll hear you. He's there. Seek him. So many people want to get out of marriage. I want to get out. All these things they're doing to me. Hey, have you sought the Lord? No. Seek him. For how long? Oh, let's see. Ten years. Try it for ten years. Don't come back to me for ten. Seek him for ten years. Be ten years of patience with your bride. And then we'll come back and we'll see how you're doing. Well, why ten years? Because it'll get you through this moment of anger. Seek him. And number three, as I close this morning, this is the formula right here in this scripture. It's too simple to be true, but it's powerful and it works. It works for nations. It works for homes. It works for families. It works for churches. It works for pastors. It's to humble myself, seek the Lord, turn from my flesh. And this last piece is the hardest. Do you turn from my flesh? Well, how do I do that? What flesh? What, what, I want you to right now write down, if you're taking notes on your little note-taking guide, what flesh, what sin habits have you brought into the room this morning? What's the one thing you should turn from? Is it, is it the words? Is it the, the lips? Is it the criticism? Is it do you retreat and shut down? Because both can be dan- dangerous. I want you to write down on that piece of paper this morning, whether you're married or not, what flesh habit do I have when it comes to conflict? Because that's what I need to turn from. As a matter of fact, I'm going to read this quickly in 2 Corinthians 2, 5 through 8. It's one of my favorite verses. It's what I call the, the, most, the most amazing love plan you'll ever see. And I'll read it to you quickly. You don't even have to turn there for time's sake. It says, if anyone causes you grief, they've not so much grieved me as they've grieved all of you to some extent. And then here it says in the next verse, the punishment inflicted upon them who cause you grief 
So I want you to imagine right now, somebody's causing you grief. Maybe it's a spouse. The punishment inflicted upon them for causing you grief. Get this. The punishment inflicted upon them by the majority is sufficient. Now, instead, you, implying you shouldn't punish them. It's not your job to punish those who cause you grief. It says, now, you, instead, ought to forgive and comfort them so they will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. And then it says this, I urge you, therefore, go reaffirm your love for them. In other words, you hurt me, I comfort you. Pam, you use your tools on me, I'm going to comfort you. And it says here the reason, so they're not overwhelmed by excessive sorrow for what they've done. In other words, my wife's going to sin from time to time, and I need to be a man of grace. I need to be a man of grace. I went to her once and I said, honey, no matter what you do to me for the rest of our marriage, no matter what happens, I want you to know that I feel. And if you never completely break some of your habits, I want you to know, Pam, that I'm still the luckiest man in the world to have you as my wife. And I'm not going to hold you on a meat hook. And I'm not going to point my finger every single time you trip and fall. Matter of fact, Pam, I'm going to try to comfort you when you hurt me. And for a moment here, I want to speak to the young kids who are not married. I'm going to ask you to make a commitment that you never, ever marry someone who doesn't know Jesus. And this verse is why. It's not because we're mean and we're rule-bound. It's because we love you. And we want you to marry someone who can love you when you blow it. Uh, No matter how good-looking he is, ladies, don't marry him if he doesn't know Jesus. Because there's a day you're going to act or behave in a way where you're going to want him to love you and comfort you. And the only way he can is if the Holy Spirit's in him. That's how we can do this, is let the Holy Spirit lead us. And no matter how pretty she is, guys, if she doesn't know Jesus, walk away. Because there's days you're going to blow it like I have with Pam. And I want my wife to love me and comfort me and help me through my issues. And with the Holy Spirit in her, she can. That's why, that's why I want you to marry someone who knows Jesus. And as I close, I've got a final story. Some of you might be thinking, Matt, I get it. Humble yourself. Seek God. Turn from your ways. But, but, but why, are you so, uh, why are you so animated about this? Why is this so important to you? I get it. I, I, I think I can apply it. And why are, you, why are you so you know, anxious to share all this? And I do have a reason. As a matter of fact, a guy shared something with me years ago that changed my life forever. He came to me and he said this. He said, I got married at a young age. My wife was 14 when we got pregnant. She got pregnant at 14 years old. And then we had our first child. Our marriage got pretty rocky. We had another child. And all of a sudden, he went off to the military. He comes back, their marriage got worse. They got saved, marriage got worse. His wife comes to him and she says this. She says to him, I don't love you anymore. Matter of fact, I've been seeing another man for a long time. I'm out. And there this man stood at a crossroad. Some of you right now might be standing at a crossroad. Or maybe you're going to face a crossroad. There's one of two paths to choose. He had one of two, not three, not more. One is a path of forgiveness and to comfort his bride somehow, some way. Or the other path is a path of contempt. I'm going to hold her in contempt for everything she's done, everything she's doing. And I don't know how and I don't know why, but here's what he said to his bride. 
He said, you go ahead and you take however long you need with your lover. And when you are done, you come back to me and I will love you all the days of your life. And he chose this path of forgiveness. And she left him. He stood on this promise right here. He stood on this passage. The months went by and it was hard and it was difficult. But he forgave and he realized he had flaws. And he humbled himself and sought the Lord and turned from his flesh. And the months went by and all of a sudden a year later he gets a knock at the door. And he opened it up and there she stood. Will you take me back? Yeah. Yes, I will. And that couple is now married 60 years. Matter of fact, I want to show you a picture of them. 60 years, and they had four more sons after that. And one of their sons is me. My dad had no idea that when he was humbling himself and seeking the Lord and turning from his flesh, that his decision would mean so much. He didn't know that his unborn son at that time would leave a career and build a ministry where thousands of mentors have been trained how to fight for marriages and families. Do you understand your decisions don't just affect you? There's thousands of people now, right now, fighting for marriages all throughout the land because of one decision my father made at a dark hour. That's why I want you to work hard on your marriage. You don't know what your children are going to do by watching you. You don't know the unborn miracles that lie ahead. Every family needs a hero. I want that to be you. As a matter of fact, this last picture shows you what it looks like when you're steadfast. Hallelujah. It's a legacy right there. Unborn grandchildren right there, surrounded by sons that he didn't have because he waited on the Lord. I want you to wait on the Lord. I want you to be patient. I want you to find this humility to serve those who wound you because the outcome is immeasurable. As I close, I'm going to have some time at the altar. And what I want you to do is you feel the Holy Spirit tugging on you, let's practice it right now and humble yourself. Seek the Lord and turn from your ways right now. Tear off on that sheet of paper whatever flesh it was that you identified and brought in the room. I want you to leave it right here at the altar and say, God, right now, this is the new way. This is the direction. This is the pattern, God, I'm committed to for the good of my wife and my my husband and my children and my friends and my coworkers. And so what I want you to do as the music plays is I just want you to come. Some of you need to get on your knees. Bring your spouse down with you, hand in hand. Say, hey, babe, it's me. Forgive me. Start with me. Married or not, bring your flesh to the altar. Come. We're no hurry.